Well, let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be observing the Lord's table at the end of the service. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we want to begin reading in uh, verse 1. And consider uh, what the Apostle Paul says in reference to Christ is our Passover. And uh, certainly when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he instituted it at the time when Israel was observing the Passover feast. And Christ is that sacrificial lamb that was offered that we might be able to experience salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is reported commonly there, uh, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit, uh, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye have unleavened, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to gather together and be able to sing songs of praise unto you, Lord, and acknowledging the grace of God and the salvation of God that has been extended to us. I pray, Lord, you would speak to us in a special way as we study the word tonight, as we really uh, take time to prepare our hearts, uh, Lord, and the focus of our thoughts, Lord, on you as we approach the Lord's table. And uh, God, I do pray that uh, the Spirit of God would uh, reveal to us what needs to be made right. The Holy Spirit of God would help us to know the precious sacrifice that Christ offered for us when he died on the cross and provided the means for us to have all of our sins washed away. And so, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us. We need the Holy Spirit to impress upon us the reality of who you are. And so, God, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the Word of God. There may be someone here tonight that's not saved. And I pray for them, Lord, that they might come to Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God, and they might believe, and they might be able to leave here knowing they're going to heaven. And so, Lord, bless us and speak to us. Work your will in your perfect way in our, our lives tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. In Sunday school this morning, I did a lesson on the necessity of a sacrifice. 
And we studied and considered the, re the requirements that was placed upon uh, mankind and more so on Christ to die on the cross of Calvary so that God would provide a way for us to be cleansed and delivered from the bondage of our sins. And Christ is that Passover lamb. John saw Jesus coming to be baptized of him and his comment was, behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And so it is so necessary for us to deal with Christ as our Passover. You know, the Passover was actually established all the way back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And so it's established in Egypt. It says in uh, Exodus 12 and 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. And that, I just was thinking of that as I was going over this lesson uh, that God wants to do something significant and spiritual and powerful in our lives, even though we are in Egypt. The world is Egypt. Egypt always represented the world. And we often look at the world and we say, well, God can't move and God can't bless like he used to move and God used to bless. Well, wait a minute. God can still move in the life of Israel when they were in Egypt and God can move in the life of the church while we're dealing with things in the world. And so uh, it was, the Passover feast was established while they were in Egypt. It was established based upon the fact of a lamb being sacrificed. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, Moses goes on and says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, and should say God speaking to Moses, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb, for the lamb shall be without blemish, a male the first year, and shall be uh, taken and out of the sheep uh, or from the goats. And so the lamb had to be sacrificed in order for them to be delivered from the judgment of God that was coming. The only thing that, that can deliver mankind on this world from the judgment of God that is coming, and may I say it is coming, uh, is there is a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb that was offered for them, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Passover was established in Egypt, and it was established on the foundation of a lamb being sacrificed. And then in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12, we know that death would pass by the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. In Exodus 12 and 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And so comprehending, first of all, if Christ is our Passover, we need to comprehend a little bit about what the Passover is and why it was established. And so it was established in Egypt by a sacrificing a lamb 
so that the blood would be shed and placed upon the doorpost so that when death came into Egypt, death would not come upon that household. And so when we speak about the sacrifice of Christ, we talk about Christ as our Passover, as we gather around the Lord's table, it reminds us that, wait a minute, the judgment that comes on this world uh, is not going to fall on the believer who has received Christ as a Savior because Christ is our Passover, so judgment passes by us because all the judgment was placed upon Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is a God who judges sin. And the world wants to deal with sin, not deal with sin. They want to ignore sin. They want to act like we don't have to answer to God for our sin. But the reality is we will have to give an account to God one day. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so God does bring his wrath and his judgment upon mankind. And uh, he demonstrated that through the Passover requirement, the Passover feast in Exodus, and then in the New Testament where we're reading about Christ in 1 Corinthians 5 through Christ being sacrificed on Calvary. See, the problem was the Corinthian church. Remember that this letter is being written not to the unsaved. This is being written to the members of the church at Corinth. And sometimes what we like to do, we like to uh, dismiss what is going on. But it was a horrible situation in the Corinthian church. And uh, literally, the Corinthian church had so much sin in it that the Apostle Paul would have to dedicate two books, First and Second Corinthians, writing to them to straighten out the problems that was going on in the church. And so the church at Corinth had a sin in it, but it kept getting worse because they ignored the sin. That's why he says he was amazed uh, that they were not willing uh, to deal with the problem. He says, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. And they weren't being mournful. They weren't sorrowing over what was going on. They were embracing it. They were embellishing it. They were accepting it. And Paul said, this is not right. You need to remember who is our Passover and what took place when Christ offered himself for us on Calvary. And so the Corinthian church needed to be reminded of the effect of the sin that was on the church, that was in the church, and the, require, the uh, response of God to dealing with that sin in the church. It's alarming the statistics that are being uh, uh, created in churches among Christians, uh, the way Christians conduct themselves anymore. You know, what's, been, what was, what's being accepted in the church of Jesus Christ in 2019 was not accepted among people who were once unsaved back in the 70s. And it's, and it's a shame nobody mourns what is going on, but rather they get mad, they get upset, uh, they become very resentful, very defensive when you start to deal with issues about Christian living. And I think we need to remember how powerful the life of Christ being sacrificed for us changes us and makes us new. And God has a higher expectation out of us once we have trusted Christ because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
I do not have to succumb to the influence of the world. I do not have to live in accordance with the sinful conduct of the world because Christ is my Passover. He has delivered me. He has atoned for me. He has enabled me to be set free from that. And so let's look at some things here in this chapter in dealing with Christ, our Passover, to prepare our hearts as we come to the communion table. You know, it's easy to overlook pride. It's, it's easy to be boastful. Uh, it's easy to harbor bitterness in our hearts. Uh, many a person gets out of church because they won't let some issue go from their past, and they just harbor bitterness and resentment towards someone, and they think it's going to get them better, but it's not going to get them better. It's just going to make them worse. And so we need to come to Christ, who is our Passover, and uh, first of all, acknowledge what the need is. The children of it, I mean, the people in Corinth needed to acknowledge the need. Notice in verse 1, Paul very directly exposes what the need is. It is reported commonly. In other words, it was not something that was hid. It was something that was flaunted in the church. He said it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. He said it's pretty sad that the unsaved crowd isn't acting like you're acting. And then he tells us what the problem was that one should have his father's wife. And then in verse 2 he says, And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. And, uh, you know, I find that among Christians, Christians aren't willing to separate from a wayward brother anymore. What I've found is as time marches on, someone gets involved in some type of gross sin, and rather than rebuking that brother or sister in Christ and refusing to fellowship with that brother or sister in Christ, we accept what they're doing, and then we wonder why God doesn't bless in the church. And uh, we need to acknowledge what the need is. And the need is you need to identify sin that is in your life so that you can put it under the blood of Christ and be delivered from that sin completely. Amen. So acknowledge the need. The need is simply this. There is bondage. Sin always puts us in bondage. Yes, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And uh, literally, you and I are in bondage as we live in this world. And so Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. It doesn't say stand fast in the liberty wherein you can embrace more and more sin. Why? Paul says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so sin's not to be abounding in our life. The grace of God's supposed to be abounding in our life, giving us liberty and freedom from the bondage that that sin brings. Stand fast on the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And he says this, and not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I'll tell you, man, I, before I was saved, I was in bondage. And whether it was alcohol, whether it was, uh, was smoking, or whether it was cursing, or whatever you want to call it, whatever rebellion you want to put on a person's life, it was prevalent in my life, and you could not get victory over it because you were trying to approach it uh, in the flesh, the very thing that is condemning you. And so here is Israel, all of Israel was in bondage. 
Just like all the world is in bondage because of sin. Don't think for one moment that you're going to be able to live a life of victory because you allow the world to come upon you and influence you in a way that uh, consumes your life with sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Uh, there's none righteous. No, not one. And so uh, we need to acknowledge our need. You cannot get victory. The problem in the Corinthian church was they were not acknowledging what the problem was. And the beginning of getting victory in your life starts with you acknowledging what is the problem. What's hindering your walk with God? Why is it you don't feel like you can pray? Why do you feel like you pray and your prayers hit the ceiling and come back down? Why is it you don't have joy, unspeakable and full of glory, living your Christian life, being in church, doing ministry, serving others, being a help to others? Why is it that you don't enjoy that type of life that God has called us to live? You need to identify what the problem is, identify what the need is, because these things put us in bondage. Not only a bondage, but punishment. You know, the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, uh, they suffered every day. And uh, sometimes people just say they're, that they're literally tormented. I've talked to people over the years, and I say, I'm just tormented. Just, I can't go through a day without being tormented in my soul. And Exodus chapter 5 and verse 13 says, And the taskmasters hastened them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. They were tormented. And uh, they, they still had to every day deal with the issues in life every day. And the issue was that literally the straw was taken from them, but the requirement that the world had put on them was still the same. Now, you might try to change the terms of your difficulties and sufferings and hurts in life, but I'm going to tell you, the world doesn't let up. The world doesn't give up. Uh, the things that are going on politically in our country against who we are as Christians is not stopping. It's not getting easier. It is becoming more and more aggressive. And so there's a torment that takes place every day. And if the Christian doesn't stand on Christian principles, you make your life more miserable. You know, the, 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 the facts over the years in the 60s and the 70s and opportunities where we had the opportunity to stand and say, we're going to pray, we're going to have prayer in our schools, we're going to have Bible reading. The reality is your children can go into public school and read their Bible. They can carry tracks in the public school and pass out the tracks. Yes, it's more difficult today. Yes, it's more uh, burdensome today because when we had an opportunity to take a stand, we didn't take a stand. And so now, no, are we not just like the Israelite trying to make bricks without straw. We're trying to build a life without Christ because we're trying to satisfy everything that's in this world. Torment every day. In verse 18, it says, Go therefore now and work. For there shall no straw be given you, yet you shall deliver the tally of bricks. The torment every day. It didn't get any easier. It got more and more burdensome, more and more oppressive. 
and uh, they needed to acknowledge what their need was, and their need was not to stay in Egypt. Their need was for God to deliver them out of Egypt, and I think God needs to deliver us out of this world in which we live. So it's tormented day by day. There's not only day-by-day torment, but there's eternal torment. In Revelation chapter 20, in uh, verse 14 and 15, tells us, and we know these verses, we often quote these verses when we go soul winning and share with people the, the problem. It says, in death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in a lake of fire. The need that people have is that they might be able to escape eternal torment. And that eternal torment is based on the fact that it is the punishment or the judgment or the justice of God that comes upon man because he has sinned against his God. But Christ is our Passover. That's the good news. Because Christ is our Passover, as Israel would offer the sacrificial lamb and judgment would come on Egypt, that death would pass over that house. And God would bring them out of Egypt, and God would deliver them into the land of Canaan, and God would give them a land that flows with milk and honey uh, because of the fact that they came through Moses acknowledging what their need was. There is punishment for sin. You can't escape that. And Paul is telling the Corinthian believers, you need to mourn and you need to be heart sick. You need to be broken because things have gotten so extreme in the church. And we're talking first century church. First century church. We're not talking 2019. And look how far we've gotten. So there was bondage, she acknowledged the need. I have bondage that I need to be delivered from. Acknowledge the need, there's punishment that we face, torment that we must go through, I need to be delivered from it. But then there was no hope, no hope. Israel, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, Israel had no armies, they had no strength, they had no money. They were slaves in Egypt. They did not have control of their destiny. They did not have the ability to change the circumstances in which they were living. The only thing that they could do was through Moses turn to God and acknowledge what they needed God to do. When you talk about Christ as our Passover, I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to get the children of Israel to acknowledge that they have, they're living with no hope. They're satisfying the flesh that is putting them more and more in bondage, that is creating more and more torment each and every day, building up wrath to come for eternity. They're living with no hope. And in and of themselves, they have no ability to be able to defeat that and develop hope in their life. We have no ability to release our bondage. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, says that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's, that, that was the condition in Israel and that was the condition of every one of us. We lived a life with no hope. But Paul says, Christ, our Passover, 
is sacrifice for us. So the answer to the need that we have is Christ Jesus. He is the answer for everything in our life. For every question, for every heartache, for every defeat, for every burden, for every bondage, anything that is in our, the answer to our need is Jesus Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. You know what the world needs? It needs Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you can do for the people outside the door of this church that is more beneficial for them than to present to them who Jesus Christ is. That's the only answer. That's the only answer. The world has nothing to offer, so acknowledge the need. Then Paul confronts them about applying the blood. In verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As ye are unleavened, even as Christ, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so we need to apply the blood. How do we do that? We apply the blood as an act of faith. In Mark 9, 23, Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the amazing thing is this, uh, acting upon in faith in reference to applying the blood is simply trusting the sacrifice. You can trust Jesus Christ tonight. When we come to the communion table, it's just not a formality. It is an opportunity for us to once again demonstrate our trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He died for us. His body was battered and bruised and broken and his blood was shed. And when we take the communion uh, together, uh, it cannot save us. These crackers and these, this juice that we drink cannot save us, but it re represents what did save us when we put faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. Understanding this, when the children of Israel put the blood on the doorpost, humanly speaking, they had no idea what the outcome was going to be. All they had was Moses, who talked with God and said, kill that lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost. Now I'm going to tell you, the children of Israel could not be delivered when death came upon Egypt if they did not do an act of faith by putting that blood on there. And mankind cannot be delivered by faith apart from trusting the sacrifice that Jesus Christ offered of himself. All things are possible to him that believeth. You say, well, I don't think so-and-so can get saved. Yes, they can. Apply the blood. You say, I don't think I can get saved. You don't understand what I've done in my life. Yes, you can, because Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. He is our Passover, and because he sacrificed himself, then yes, we can know how to be saved, and we can be delivered by faith applying the blood of the sacrifice that was offered. So there is an act of faith. There is an attitude of praise. An attitude of praise in Acts chapter uh, 3, Acts 3 and verse 8 and 9 says, And he leaping up stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. 
Now, who is that? This is the man that was paralyzed, that was lame, at the setting at the temple's uh, steps as um, uh, Peter and John come up. And Peter and John are very clear to this man, gold and silver have we none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. John and Peter knew that that man that was lame did not need money. He needed healing. He did not need financial support. He needed a miracle from God. And when they healed him, he rose up and he wasn't shy about it. He came into the very reserved temple crowd and uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were there. And he walked in, not reserved and not very temperate and not very shy and not very quiet. It says he came in walking and leaping and praising God. So an attitude of praise is believing the sacrifice. Not just trusting the sacrifice, believing that sacrifice. I believe Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything I need today. Jesus is enough. Oh, I like friendships and I like fellowship and I like talking with people and I like all those things. But listen, when all those things are gone, what do you have then? All those things are gone. You can still praise God because you believe it in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Apply the blood. Not only an act of faith, trusting the sacrifice, attitude of praise, believing the sacrifice, but there's action that releases grace. And what is action that releases grace? It is simply depending on that sacrifice. Romans chapter 11 let me read this for you, Romans 11 and verse 6. It says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. <laughs> I like how Paul, he tries to confuse them, I think, a little bit. I think he tries to lay it out for them very clearly. That the action that releases the grace of God in our life is depending completely on that sacrifice. Israel, listen, Israel didn't have a second option. Moses gave them one option, one way to be delivered from the bondage you're in, one way to be delivered and released from the death that is coming. The only option they had was to put the blood on the doorpost. And folks, I want you to know tonight as we take communion together, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us, and that's the only option we have. Amen. There is no option B. There is no second chance. There is no other offer. It's Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So acknowledge the need. Apply the blood. And then, according to our text in verse 8, acquire deliverance. Therefore, let us keep the feast. And he's talking about the Passover feast. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. They that worship, God is a spirit, and they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And so Paul is saying this, listen, we're not talking about going back to the old feast, and we're not talking about trying to worship God based on old leaven, sinful acts, or sinful conduct. We're talking about worshiping God with sincerity and the truth of God's word. It requires deliverance. Israel was delivered when they received the truth of Moses' words and believed that God could deliver them. Notice, first of all, that this deliverance was immediate. You know, over 50 times in the Bible, the word immediate is used in the New Testament. And over 50 times when the word immediate is used in the New Testament, it is used in reference to deliverance. <laughs> I'm glad it's not a process. I'm glad we're not saved through a process. I'm glad we're saved through a person. I'm glad that I don't have to work my way to get saved. I can immediately be saved. And when I called back in 1979, when I called the Lord and I said, God, I don't know if I died, I would go to heaven. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, will you save me? Immediately he saved my soul at that moment. I've never been the same again. So it's immediate. Deliverance is immediate. Notice that it's universal. In other words, God is not willing that any should perish. And listen, every person, every person in Egypt could have been delivered from death if every person had applied the blood. And the offer was to everyone. In John chapter 6 and verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me. And here it is, that everyone, which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I'm thankful it's universal. I'm thankful that God doesn't do demographic studies to figure out where to go talk to people about Christ. God says go into all the world. He doesn't restrict the opportunities for people to be saved. So it was immediate. It was universal. Notice it was complete in Colossians chapter 2. I love this in Colossians 2 that uh, this deliverance is complete. Colossians 2 in uh, verse 10 says, And ye are complete in him. (laughs) I like that. Which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. You realize what Peter says this, that, that what is it, Second Peter? Peter says this, that you have received uh, everything that God has for you. And uh, it says, according uh, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. You realize this, there is now no need to get more of God. You're completed in Him. He's given you everything. The problem is God needs to get more of us. We're complete in Christ. There is no way that I can be even any more complete. I, I, I'm in heaven just as sure as I'm standing here. The reality is if, if I was to drop dead, I was to close my eyes standing here All I would do is open my eyes in heaven. That's a reality. Why? Because I'm complete in Christ. 
There's not one thing that has to happen. There's not one thing that has to take place. There's nothing that has to be accomplished. It just simply is this. I am complete in Christ Jesus because when he saved me, he saved me completely. He didn't save me partially. You say, well, why do, why do Christians have problems with sin in their life? Because you're not willing to submit to the power of God that's in you. That's why. Because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Then why do we allow the world to completely ruin us all the time? So we're complete. Notice it was the deliverance was by God. Matthew 1.21 in reference to Jesus coming said, You shall call his name Jesus, wife, for he shall save his people from their sins. May I say this, that the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, and when they came out of Egypt, it was by God and God alone. It was not by their hand. It was not by their ability. It wasn't by the strength of Moses. It was by God. And even, listen, and even when they got out of Egypt and they started murmuring and complaining about what God was feeding them and what the conditions were, it was still God who kept them delivered. It was not them if they had their way, they would have gone back and eaten leeks and onions and garlic instead of going into the promised land and feasting on manna through the wilderness and uh, drinking of the sweet uh, honey in the new land, a land that flows with milk and honey. Uh, they would have been back in Egypt. But God, it was God who kept them going. It was God who brought them into the promised land. It was God that gave them deliverance. And not only that, but it changed their life. Romans 8, 28, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate, be conformed to the image of his son. There was a plan that God had for Israel. And when God gave them commands as they went into Canaan, he told them, don't become like the world. Don't make leagues with the world. And don't take their wives to be uh, their women to be your wives, and don't take their men to be your husbands. Make no league with them. He told them, "This is what you're supposed to be. Your life has been changed. You were in Egypt. You were in bondage. You were a slave and a part of all that the world is. But now you've been changed." I love a, a song. I forget what the name of the song is, but it talks about I've been changed. If there's something that needs to be refreshed in Christianity in 2019 is that when you get saved, you've been changed. You're not the per same person. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, what was the issue? The children of uh, is not Israel, but the, uh, the believers in the Corinthian church, were living in light of the world and the times that surrounded them. And Paul says, wait a minute, you need to remember this. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That, that reveals what your need is if you're living apart from Christ. It shows you what needs to be done because the blood has to be applied. And it remind, he reminds them that, wait a minute, in Christ Jesus, that's where the deliverance comes. That's where the victory is. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. So our Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Now, the amazing thing is this, that as you read the next several chapters, the Apostle Paul 
would launch into chapter 11 and reveal to them how they need to observe the Lord's table. And this is what he says. It says, I received the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was portrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he tells them why. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What was he dealing with? He's saying that because he's already warned them of the conduct that was contrary to what they were in Christ. And Christ has sacrificed himself for them. And he said, if you live this type of a life, uh, you better beware. Uh, don't eat of the bread and don't drink of the cup. Why? Because you need to let a man examine himself and so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then he says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. That's an amazing statement. Because he has been warning them for 10 chapters about their conduct that was worldly and sinful and their conduct that ignored the reality that Christ is our Passover. He's been sacrificed for us. Amen. And he said, now I'm going to tell you, the, the chastisement of God is coming upon you because of the fact that you have taken of the Lord's table without discerning the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Then he says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. The world's already condemned. The world didn't escape the judgment of God in Egypt. It's those who had the blood applied that escaped the judgment of God. The judgment of God's coming on this world. There's no need for the Christian to fear the judgment of God because Christ, our Passover, has been offered for us. He has been sacrificed for us. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you may, and that you come not together unto condemnation, and then he says this, the rest will I set in order when I come. I mean, he's still not dealing with issues in the Corinthian church. It's amazing. But in the midst of dealing with these issues in the Corinthian church, he establishes the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church. It's amazing. You talk about grace. You talk about mercy. You talk about opportunity to be able to get right with God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not about us getting the forgiveness and trying to get cleansing from man. It's the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of Christ. And so we gather around the Lord's table. This is what I would like to do. I'd like for us, I know we had another song picked out. I'd like for us to sing 
uh, Christ, what is it, Christ our Redeemer died on the tree? What is the name of that song? What is it? When I See the Blood, that's what it is, amen. I know the words of the song, but I didn't know the title. I'd like for us to do this. I'd like for us to stand and sing this song, just the first and the last verse, and make that our prayer unto God. And if you need to kneel where you are, there's something you need to get right with God. Why don't you just kneel where you are and to get that right? If you need to come to the altar while we're singing, why don't you come to the altar and get that right? And then we can gather around the Lord's table uh, with a freshness and a newness of the reality that God loves us and forgives us and we don't have to be overcome and destroyed by this world. Christ our Redeemer died on the cross. Let's stand, you pray, you come as God would direct you if there's something that needs to be confessed in your life. Let's sing it out. First and last verse, here we go. Christ our Redeemer died on the cross, died for the sinner, paid all his due. Sprinkle your soul with the blood of the Lamb, and I will pass, will pass over you. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. As we're seeing the next last verse, men, won't you come so we can observe the Lord's table together? Come with a freshness and a newness and a desire to glorify God in your heart as you come. Oh, great compassion. You know, God could kill us. He could judge us, but he chooses to send us mercy and chooses to give us grace. Let's sing it out. Oh, great compassion. Oh, boundless love. Oh, loving kindness, faithful and true. Find peace and shelter. Amen. And I will pass.